Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Well, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And I'm just going to say this, and maybe it's selfishly motivated, but you should be celebrated today, gentlemen, to, as dads. And maybe I should be too. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. But anyway, um, it is the greatest joy of my life to get to be a father. The greatest gift, one of the great gifts that God has given me, a great trust to raise and love our kids and through mistakes and all the things that, we've, that go along with that, I'm just so grateful. And um, as my oldest son is about to become a father, I pray that he finds the same joy and hope and life that I've gotten to experience. Today I'm going to look at the gospel reading. And it's one of those passages that you could look at over and over. You could read into. There's so many sermons that are just built into it. You could stop in each section and each part and, and build a whole sermon on it week after week. But there's four movements that really moved me or kind of grabbed my attention this week. And so we're going to focus on that. But before we do that, I think we really have to focus on the book of Matthew, what we know about it coming up to this point. And ultimately... We know that there's a beginning of this book, and at the end of it is the Great Commission, which we say every week. And, and I think all along, the end was in mind as Matthew wrote this gospel. As we look at the book, we know from the beginning that the genealogy comes and that this is the Messiah that has been promised to Israel. This is the Messiah that is coming. He's the right lineage. Everything about him is putting him in this place, his rightful place, as the Savior of the world. We know in this, that Matthew is full of Jesus' teachings. We've got the Sermon on the Mount, one of the great discourses in all of Scripture as Jesus teaches, words that would turn the religious world of the day upside down and still are, that it was so contrary to the thought that had come before that. We've seen Jesus heal every form and every fashion going out into the world, and he's brought this group of unlikely people along with him as his disciples to do the same. So as we walk into Matthew, as we get to this passage today, I, I want you to be aware this has been leading to this point as Jesus has taken his friends with him, as they've seen. He's just healed a leper and, and a paralytic. They've seen what he can do. It points to Jesus as the Messiah and our Savior. Up until this point in Matthew, we've seen Jesus move into the world where he's engaged with lost, the broken, the unlovable, the untouchable, with the worst of sinners. Matthew not only points to Jesus as the Messiah, but I think in many ways, it allows us to see Jesus' heart for each of us. It also clear, clearly allows us to see that his intent was not just to offer salvation and to restore us to a right place in our relationship with the Heavenly Father, but also to point to who we are as part of his kingdom and the mission and role that he's called each of us to, to share in the, spread, in the spreading of the good news to the world around us. Reading this week's gospel, I want to focus on four specific things that take place. Now, of course, there could be so much more than that. But there are four things that really stood out to me as we look at the, the movement of this passage. And it's vision, compassion, gathering, and sending. This is the movement that I see in this, or one of the movements. So I'm going to start with vision. As he went throughout all the cities 
and villages, Jesus saw. This is not a minor detail in this passage. Many people go through life wondering if anyone sees them at all, if anyone notices them. The crowds Jesus saw were helpless and harassed. In verse 36, these verbs could literally be translated whipped, flayed, or thrown down. He noted they were like sheep without a shepherd, which meant they had neither protector nor provider. Jesus does not name the source of their harassment, but it's not hard to imagine. If we look at our world today, we can see the harassed and the helpless, maybe even sometimes in ourselves. Look around. Some are tossed by injustice, grief, abuse, harsh judgment. Others flayed by diseases, economic strain, isolation. In many ways, when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw you and me. He saw a broken world that was riddled with sinfulness and separation from the lives that we are intended to live. And the truth of it is, is that everyone is harassed by a sinful inclination to respond to all the strains of the world and our broken lives, maybe with anger, maybe with fear or sadness, or maybe it's with self-righteousness. The problem in part is many of us do not see. Please hear this. This is not an indictment on any of us, but it's the reality of the world that we live in. It flies by and is designed to distract and draw our attention and eyes to things that bring us comfort and just don't disrupt our safety. Perhaps at times we can't see because we never put ourselves in a place to see. Perhaps we choose not to see, refusing to look outside of our own lives and the worlds that we've created around ourselves. This is the first thing that I really want us to pay attention to that I think is really important. It's, as we look at this passage, Jesus sees the crowd. He doesn't just see the mass of humanity and bodies that have fallen at his feet or crowded around him. He sees each individual just as he saw you and me and our brokenness. In the midst of this crowd, he's able to see each of us. It's critical that we see how he responds to the crowd. It's what we're charged to do as well. It's not with disdain, anger, or indifference. But look at what the text says. It says he had compassion for them. As Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them, and it moved him to the innermost parts. His compassion, the actual Greek translation, quite literally means from his inner being, the deepest part of who he was. I confess that this is not something that I always do very well in my own life. But I want to tell you, I've learned so much about seeing the world around me from my son, Jacob. Jacob is doing something that I believe takes special view of the world around him as he works with a homeless population in Denver. It's so easy for me and maybe you to not see them, to pull up to an intersection or walk down the street and turn my head to avoid eye contact, hoping that they don't notice. And in doing that, I make them invisible or a nuisance or bother. Jacob has not turned his head away, but he's seen the pain 
and hardship that many of these people live with. He sees the loss of everything in their lives. Family, hope. He sees the cruelty and disdain that these people receive from the world around them. He sees those who are wrought with addiction and mental illness. And he sees the lives that come to an end because they've lost hope. And their addictions often lead to death. I'm so grateful for Jacob because he's teaching me to see like Jesus. And I believe that it's critical that we're able to see those around us as Jesus did. In your life, who has God placed in your path? Who at work, in the store, in your neighborhood, your family? Who have we missed? Because we no longer see as Jesus does. As Jesus looked at the crowd, he sees them. His response is compassion. And that's where we're going to go for the second movement of this passage. Truly seeing others and their plight is necessary. And it's the beginning to becoming more like Jesus. However, seeing is not all that Jesus does. Please hear this. If being seen is not accompanied by being helped, it doesn't do much. Having seen the crowds, Jesus had compassion. Again, from the very being, his, the deepest parts of who he is, from his, it's guttural. He suffers with them as well. From the Latin word compassio, means to suffer with. In this sense, the suffering of Jesus is not limited to the events of Holy Week that we talk about often. It encompasses an entire ministry on earth. His entire incarnation. Jesus came among us to suffer with us before he suffered on the cross for us. We're not always good at suffering. I'm not. And it becomes even more of a challenge to suffer with others. Martin Luther said this, we are to fear and love God by helping and supporting our neighbors in every bodily need. We are to defend them, speak well of them, and put the best construction on everything they do. We fall short, which must not be easily excused, even though it is true. But Jesus does not. He protects and provides for his people as the good shepherd, as our good shepherd. As believers, we've been made new. And it's in this transformation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that our lives become more like Jesus. We're given the ability to see those who are hurting and suffering, but seeing is not all that we do. We are moved to pity. We are not just moved to pity, we are moved, just as Jesus was, to see and move towards those who are suffering. That's what we're called to do. We become the embodiment of Jesus Christ on earth to those in need. Every person, regardless of how lost, how broken, or how sinful, are created in the image of our Creator. Hear that. Everyone has value because of the way that they've been created in the image of our creator. And regardless of how distorted this image has become, each person has been created by God and that brokenness should, be moved to, should move us to action. It should break our hearts. Moving us to the third movement of Jesus in this passage. He gathers. Continuing on, we see the compassion of Jesus, which arises from seeing the suffering of the crowds, 
which leads him to gather. He begins by gathering the 12. This is the first list where they're all listed together in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to think how crazy it is that they were all put together, that they were the ones that Jesus called to labor together, these guys. We have some commercial fishermen among them who left everything to follow Jesus. You have a tax collector in Matthew who worked to uphold the Roman government. And you have Simon the Zealot who would have been working to overthrow the Roman government. But that's how Christ works, isn't it? And that's the glory of the church. We're made up of people who may differ in our backgrounds, our level of education, the amount of money that we have or don't have, class, nationality, hundred other things that divide us, that keep us, could separate us so easily. However, all of us who profess our faith in Jesus Christ, he's gathered together. This points to an important aspect of the gathering that Jesus does in this text. He doesn't gather his disciples for their own edification or to feel good, not primarily. He gathers them so he might send them. In the same way, we don't just gather here each week to feel good or have a happy community or good friends. Those are great byproducts of this church family, but that's not why we're called together. It's not just where we worship together either. This is also a place from where we are sent into the world. It's for us to obediently go to where Jesus will send us. So my question is, is where is he sending you? Who do you see in your path? Where is he sending you? And finally, that's the fourth movement, descending. Now Jesus has called the apostles together. He sends them out into the world. And up until this point, Jesus has been the one that's doing the heavy lifting. He's the one that's gone into the world, that's taught, that's healed. They've watched him, they've learned, they've grown. They've seen this happen around them. But now we're given a clearer picture of how these men will be used to carry out his mission to the world. In the same way, please hear this, we are called to become the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around us. Matthew 10, 2 is the only time in Matthew's gospel where the 12 are called the apostles, and he calls them together. Jesus sends them to cast out demons and and heal diseases and to preach the good news. It's not a stretch to say Jesus sent the apostles to do what he had come to do, to see, to have compassion, to gather, and to send those that they are reaching. That this gospel would spread from this group of unlikely men that he's called together that the gospel might go out from this unlikely group of people that sit here at Christ Church. Jesus also gives the apostles very clear instruction of who to go to and what they need and don't need for their journey. On the surface, it seems impractical. He essentially says, go with nothing that will offer comfort or protection in any way. In sending them, he allows them to understand and to know in a new way that all that they need comes from above, that all that they do comes from God who's given them this strength and this authority. They can't rely on themselves in any way. He gives them authority to do as he has done in his Father's name. These men do not transform the lives of the people they come in contact with on their own strength, power, or will. All, all, that they, all that they do is because of what God is doing through them. 
And in doing what Jesus has sent them to do, they begin to live out the mission that they are called to. The same is still true for us. As we are sent out into the world, we have nothing to bring to the table on our own accord. We can do nice things for people, give them platitudes, and give them things if maybe they're in need. But, if we're, but we're not just called to provide worldly comfort. People are not projects that we are sent to fix. We on our own don't change a person's heart. We are not the savior of the people that we go out to. What we can offer is hope and life through Jesus Christ. Where is God sending you? Is it across the hall at work? Is it down the street? Or is it around the world? Jesus continues to send his people to see others as human beings and fellow creations or creatures of a loving God. He continues to send his people to have compassion on those who are helpless and harassed, to suffer with them and to help them bear their burdens. He continues to send his people to speak words of life and forgiveness that not only creates saving faith in the hearts of individuals, but also gathers them together for a life in his body. And he continues to send his people to continue sending others until all have heard and all have believed and come together in his name. In Romans 10, it says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has, belie- who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Each week in our service, we end with Matthew 28, the Great Commission, or the sending. In a sense, this, in a, in, in a sense, this week's reading gives us the background of where the Great Commission came from, that this was always the intent. Before the sending is the gathering, before the gathering is the compassion, before the compassion is the seeing, and it all starts with a gracious God. Vision, compassion, gathering, sending. That is what God does through Jesus, and that is what he does with us today as his mission to the world continues through you and me. He gathers us as his own, and he allows us to see as he sees. He transforms our hearts to show mercy and compassion to the helpless, harassed, and broken as he sends us into the world with the hope and life that he offers through the good news of his son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.